Welcome back to Joygasm, a video game and movie podcast. I am Russ, and you'll notice that Steve, who is uh, on Zencaster. Uh, oh, there he is. Hello, Steve enjoys us remotely, ladies and gentlemen, because his wife, unfortunately, has the COVID. We're not... The actually, Rona. you know, a, a question. Pregunta por tu, Steve Esteban. Do you know, uh, does she have Omicron yes. or does she have the OG COVID or what, what, what does she have? Do you know? I don't know, Russ. She got a <laughs> test and they said, yes, you got it. And then she went home. Mm. That's mm. all I know. That's all mm. I know. She did lose her um, sense, sense of taste. taste. Everything tastes like cardboard. Yeah. yeah. Um, otherwise, it hasn't lasted all that long and it hasn't been that bad. So she's basically more or less had a head cold. And that was it. I see. I see. Well, as you can see, he normally sits right here. And now I have nothing but space. So I'll probably just be using the zoom up lens. Hello, <laughs> how are you? And we'll be able to switch back and forth. Uh, our topic of the day is our favorite movies of 2021. If you had watched last week's episode, we were dedicating that topic of the day to our favorite games of 2021. So if you missed that, we definitely encourage you mm. to check that out as well. Having said that little dealio um same kind of principle applies here we're going to be taking turns going back and forth starting out with our top number five pick of 2021 going all the way up to our number one pick our absolute favorite uh, i was gonna say game favorite movie of 2021 <laughs> nice so just to briefly recap 2021 saw this kind of semi-re-emergence of theater going. You, you had both kind of a option to, to watch various films at home, whether it was on HBO Max or Disney Plus, so on and so forth, or you can go into the theater. Having said that, though, there are uh, certain films that did, in fact, get bumped out of 2021 into 2022. Things have not resumed as per usual before all this nonsense started occurring, but it was, I would say a sigh of relief to actually see the theaters open up once more, having us actually go in with some popcorn and sit down. Wouldn't you agree, Steve? I would Russ, although I, uh, I am very thankful for mediums such as HBO max so I can watch it in my skivvies here at the house pause Indeed. the movie, go to the bathroom, get more snacks. So, um, I, I am very thankful. It was actually nice to go back to the theater though, but I'm, I'm happy for both accounts. Yeah. I'm sure you're, you're like me where you're, you're glad that the, the theaters didn't actually go under it because as no, we talked about in the no, past, it's like, yeah. a, you know, a tradition, you know, it's like, who, who doesn't like going to the theater? Right? Well, plus it's just nice to, well, there's a couple things. It's nice to actually be social and see people. You're like, ah, oh, yeah, I'm a homebody, but I'm alive. You know, yeah. I'm here. Humanity. Uh, <laughs> humanity. Um, and then there's something else where I think um, the, the like these production studios, I think they get a little more money if you go and see the movie versus if you just stream it at the house. Yeah. And so when you 
see something, you know, pretty darn spectacular, you want the studio to make the money because I'm sure they count all the Benjamins, you know, they're make, they're saying, okay, so many people saw it in the theater. They liked it. We'll make more of this. And so then they'll get bigger budgets to make bigger and better movies that of course we want to pay them to go see versus if we just stream it, they make a little bit less money. Maybe we'll see less of actually what we like. I don't know. That's just a theory. Indeed. Indeed. Well, before we actually commence with the round robin of our top five movies of 2021, make sure you squeeze that subscribe button and make sure you clasp that <laughs> notification bell. That way you will not miss a single episode of Joygasm, which drops once a week every week. Let us begin. Steve, why don't you go ahead and kick us off? <laughs> what is your number five pick of 2021? Number five, Russ, might surprise you. I like surprises. Um, it's the Suicide Squad, Russ. Suicide Squad. Mm. Now, um, I kind of came into this movie with my expectations a little low. For the um, for this episode or No, for the for the for the show, for the movie. Oh, 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 gotcha. The film. Yeah. The film. Yes. The um you know the, the projector and the lights and stuff like that, Russ. Um yeah, I, I know. <laughs> So, I mean, I really didn't know what to think. I, I didn't like um, the, the first Suicide Squad movie that was out. I didn't even want to go see Birds of Prey. I just like, I'm really not feeling what DC's doing right now. So then this came out. The preview looked you know, pretty darn good. And, uh, you know, we, we went over that a few times so in, in previous episodes. So I saw it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, I was pleasantly surprised. I mean, you had a whole list of, you know, Great actors playing all these parts. Um, it was funny. It had dark humor. We actually got a spinoff series for the Peacemaker. I've actually yet to watch it, by the way, but it's available to see. Um, Man, we will be covering that in a future episode of Joygasm, FY to the eye. I hope so. I hope so. Um, but I mean, it was nice to watch a superhero movie. Even though, even though they're villains, I mean, you, it's still kind of, I guess, classified as a superhero movie or maybe anti-hero movie. I don't know. But... Um, Definitely anti-hero. Where they didn't have, like, uh, anti-hero, okay, whatever. <laughs> anti-hero movie. Um, where they, Not superhero, no. <laughs> where they don't have to, like, save the world, in a sense. I mean, I guess maybe that, you know, it was, important, it was an important mission, but it's not, like, galaxy-changing. It's nice that it was just funny and humorous. Yeah. And, you know, it was action-packed with... Uh, funny jokes and it was nice to just have a popcorn movie and laugh at the movie, laugh at itself. And, um, I had a great time with it. I watched it a couple times, showed my wife and, um, it was, it was a good time. I enjoyed it. I didn't think I would, but it, uh, it left a mark, Russ. It left oh, a mark. Good. It left a tattoo. Yeah, right, right above my butt crack, Russ. Uh, I figured it would be a tramp stamp <laughs> on you. <laughs> well, my number five, Steve, is yes. Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings. Do tell, this, Russ, do tell. This is a uh, Marvel film that came out earlier in 2021. One that I had, it was interesting 
when they had the trailers of both Eternals and Shang-Chi way back, like super early on, I was really interested in the Eternals and I was like, eh, I'm not sure if, if I'm interested in Shang-Chi or not. As subsequent movie trailers came out, suddenly they flip-flopped where like Shang-Chi was really looking interesting to me and Eternals really lost its luster and I was thinking, man, I'm not really super excited to see that film anymore. So um, it was a lot of fun to be able to go in and see this film. I love the fact that it had an, uh, an Asian dominated cast, which was fantastic because we haven't seen that in the MCU yet. And not only that, it wasn't just something that, that they did that came across as cheap or, or cheesy or anything like that. In fact, it was, it was the exact opposite. You had these characters that you could root for that had fun personality types. The film itself was very beautiful. I remember just being awestruck with like a lot of the thoughtfulness behind how they were able to fuse a lot of like the, the various Asian cultures into the film. The dragon sequence was absolutely cool and amazing looking. And the relationship between Sean and his father, you know, while it didn't necessarily like blow me away, like, like, you know, say Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader or something like that, it still had a very interesting dynamic to it in the sense that his father was trying to, to be better than like how he was raised and how he was in his younger years um, after he met his wife and so on and so forth. So that part I thought was a bit interesting. And really, I'm, I'm very excited to see the, the MCU expand more to um, include more of these superheroes that I, for one, have never seen in um, the comic books that I've collected. And I think that's, that's kind of a fun byproduct of a lot of these, these Marvel movies, right? Is like, they have such a, a ginormous catalog of various superheroes, many of which we haven't even seen yet, but just about every character that they have introduced through the MCU, I find myself just, just all of a sudden really enjoying getting to know and finding out what's going to happen next with them. So as a result, that is, in fact, my number five pick for 2021. Mm. Steve, what is your number four pick for 2021? Russ, I'm going to say number four is going to be Dune. Dune is number four for Steve. I'm a little surprised by that, to be honest with you, Steve. Really, Russ? Why is that? I had an if I just I don't know I had a feeling it would have been placed higher in your your ranking. Mm. So I mean I, again, uh, like, th this year has been filled with various surprises. Well, I think it may have been placed higher, and it might be placed higher in the future, Russ. Once I see Doom Part <laughs> Two, it's just kind of hard to rate the entire thing um, because this movie is setting up everything for Part Two which I have absolutely no clue what's going to happen because I'm just not familiar with the Dune story. Mm -hmm. But I'm looking at it from just like a fan of sci-fi altogether where I didn't know anything about Dune before. I said that the whole story on a previous podcast when we were reviewing the movie and, um, and Denis Villeneuve had the, the, the sight and the vision. Like he is the person direct to direct this movie. And, um, I was unfamiliar with a lot of the cast. I mean, Zendaya's in it, but she's just kind of like a, 
you know, on the background sort of thing. She didn't really say anything. So she didn't have really her character is probably on. has yet to be fleshed out with, uh, the sequel. Right. Um, but I just felt it was very, it, it was like the script was written very well. Um, I loved all like the, the, the technology and the technology wasn't so like in your face, like, isn't this cool? We have this or, um, you know, it, it wasn't like we, they had to show it off to really sell it to us. It, it all the technology like seemed to make sense in yeah. the movie. And so I felt like I was taken out of my world and placed in this world and everything seemed to, to, to just to make sense with the cultures and the tribes and, like the father son relationship, the military re- relationship with, with uh, like the, the governor, um, everything in the movie just really made sense. And from a sci-fi perspective, um, I just, I, I really liked it. I, I loved how the movie was filmed. Um, Jason Momoa, I would, I'd say was, I mean, I'll put it this way. <laughs> shaved. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he was shaved. Um, I would say, I mean, he's kind of like the same guy in every movie, which, I mean, if you're a fan of Jason Momoa, that's a, that's fine. It's great grand nifty. But, um, to me, I want to see him be different. And to me, this was like one of his better acting roles in my Mm. opinion. Sure. Um, and so anyhow, I walked out of the movie, uh, I saw it a couple times and, I know the first time I saw it, it was in fragments and I, and I really had to go back and, and watch it again. And, um, I walked out thinking that this movie is sticking with me and, and not so much that I had like an impact on my life, but I guess more of an appreciation for, um, uh, the director to, to bring Dune and this kind of light to make people like me who know nothing about the story, absolutely fascinated by it and want more. Sure, um, And I got to thinking about it again and again and again, and it wasn't trying to figure the movie out. It was more of like on an appreciated kind of level. Yeah. Um, how much I liked it. So anyhow, like I said, I can't wait for, for two to come out and two might, you know, increase the rating. Um, but that's to be said. So anyway, that's why it's my number four. Oh, well, that makes sense. Steve definitely makes sense. My number four pick for 2021 as it applies to the movies I'm okay. You're going to have to, to give me some slack on this. Like, cause I am kind of cheating in the sense <laughs> that this wasn't like a, like a total movie movie. This is, this is more of a documentary, but I feel as though it really belongs on my list. And that <clears throat> is Val. I knew recall. that was going to be part of your list there, Russ. Uh, how did you know that Steve? I just, I, I, mm. I don't know. Russ, I, I've known you for a little while. Oh, have you now? And I remember we talked about the movie a little bit. And I thought just, mm, I think I I thought that would be on your list. I don't know. Just go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, uh, that makes sense. Well, <clears throat> anyway, I thought it was a fascinating look into Val Kilmer's life. I had no idea leading up to, to watching this documentary about how um, he really, since he was a kid, had a fascination with actually taking his, his camcorder and recording all kinds of things, um, maybe not necessarily on a daily basis, but on a weekly basis, and how he has an entire storage facility. It looks like like a, a warehouse almost that has 
um, it just contains boxes and boxes and boxes of various types of, of 35 millimeter film or, or eight millimeter film, whatever it was that he used. And this particular film, it just, it has so much authenticity and accessibility to it in the sense that, that, you know, they could have very easily turned this into like a puff piece for Val Kilmer, right? Like it could have easily been something that they used as a means to like try and get him more work to like show how, how like awesome of an actor he is. And they just leave it at that. That wasn't the case at all. And I think that was one of the most refreshing surprises when, as I was watching it, is that it's very much a down to earth, realistic look at his life. It shows him as a, as a child. It, it, it examines his relationship with his parents. It shows um, the royalty of Hollywood back in like the, the eighties and nineties, even some of the seventies really. But like you, if you recall, Looking back during that time period, there was kind of like this untouchables Hollywood glamorous lifestyle back then where you had these larger than life celebrities and Val Kilmer was definitely one of, of those actors that got all kinds of, of amazing lead roles and whatnot. And he was getting his start right along with like Tom Cruise and Kevin Bacon and like, all you know, they they had all kinds of of different actors that were super well known for that time period and, and even today. So I really appreciated that, and I was also surprised by how the film touched me in a way. Like by the by the end of the film, I found myself getting misty eyed because I felt as though I had such a better understanding of this man in terms of of the life that he has led so far. Obviously, the throat cancer um, is something that they explore in it. And it, it deals with some of the challenges with that. But again, it doesn't turn it into a melodrama of his condition. Instead, it just simply presents like how he carries on with this new type of lifestyle. Really, really cool to see his son being uh, involved in his life as well. And I highly recommend it. Honestly, I hope that there are more documentary films that are made like this, perhaps with other types of celebrities. And if it's done so in this kind of like just taking the gloves off, holding a mirror up and saying, you know, the, this is my life. This is what happened. You know, I, I think that a lot of folks will be fascinated by that. So that is my number four pick for 2021, mm. Steve. What is your All right. pick for number three of 2021, Steve? Number three is going to have to be the Ghostbusters. Um, <laughs> honestly, I really wanted this movie to be like number one. Um, but it's number three because I, you know, I had my expectations through the roof. And this was probably my most anticipated movie of the entire year since I saw the trailer. Um, long time ago, <laughs> it seems like. Um, so it, when you and I spoke about this movie, we were like, okay, what we, what do we want? We had like this mental checklist of, yeah. you know, we want to see the, the cast. We want to see, you know, you know, modern technology with the special effects. Um, we want it to be like an actual, like Ghostbusters three. Here's the story. 
without introducing like a ton of new characters. And so we were kind of treading on like, you know, just thin ice in a way because uh, we, didn't, we wanted the movie to succeed, but we wanted it to kind of the way, you know, we wanted our version, not necessarily the version right. that they were writing. Um, so, I mean, what we got was, I think, very well done. Um, it was a big love letter or gift to all the fans. Um, I don't think it was necessarily like a worthy sequel, but I mean, we got a branch off of, you know, Aykroyd's writing of, Hey, you know, this is something we probably should have done a long time ago, but we understand that you guys still love us. And so we're going to give you a little bit of a thank you. Uh, and that's what it kind of seemed like because, um, I didn't find myself laughing a whole lot. I found myself really appreciating that I'm seeing the cast, at least on screen for as little time as that is as they put them on screen, uh, I'm seeing them there again. I'm seeing Ecto-1, you know, flying around the streets. I'm seeing ghosts. I'm seeing proton packs. I'm hearing the the, the charge all through the theater and, and THX, which, I mean, I'll pay for that all over again. <laughs> it's so freaking awesome. Um, and I love the way they handled um, Harold Ramis, you know, still being there even though he has passed. And um, – I could, I cannot stop thinking about this movie. Um, yeah. There's so much to, uh, to appreciate about it. And even though I did not get the version that I wanted and maybe that you wanted, I'm just so stoked that I got to sit in the theater and watch a Ghostbusters movie that was still very well done. And I got to see it in the theater and um, it, it paid it. I felt like I paid my respects by pay, you know, buying a movie ticket from you know my wife and I to go see it. Um, and I, I definitely want to see more. I, I just really am thankful that the movie was released. I'm thankful that the movie was made. I still want our version. I still want to see Dad Acro. I, I still want to see all of like the, the cast. I don't care if they're old. I don't care if maybe they're, they're you know, put on a couple pounds. I really don't give two cents. They're not going to be like Thor and Captain America. All I want to see is them like banter back and forth. Yeah. And, you know, throw their particle accelerators at God. That's all I really want to see. I really, mm, I can't even tell you how much I really want to see it. Anyhow. Um, I, I, I love the movie. Um, and that's why it's my third pick and I can't wait to see it again. Well, Steve, we are simpatico in that regard because my number three pick of 2021 for my favorite movie is in fact Ghostbusters Afterlife. So we have ah! finally found common ground, which always makes me Twitter baited. Uh, to add on <laughs> to what you said, I I definitely agree. I, I think that, that this film, which was directed by Jason Reitman, who's the son of Ivan Reitman, the original director of Ghostbusters, was a natural fit. You know, you could tell that once Jason made it clear that he wanted or made it known that he wanted to create another Ghostbusters film, he acted as a uniter between all these different folks who had worked on the previous installments of Ghostbusters, which I think is a really neat thing, especially considering that he was the son of Ivan. And there are stories he talks about, about him being a kid running around on the Ghostbusters sets. I mean, everybody knew him. In fact, I remember watching um, some sort of behind the scenes interview. Uh, I, I can't remember where it was. It was on YouTube somewhere. 
what's crazy is, remember that that one scene in Ghostbusters 2 at the beginning when you had Ray and Winston go to a birthday party? Yes. And there's that one kid with the braces who stands up and he's like, you know, my dad says you guys are full of crap. And like yeah. the, the mom's trying to get him to hush and stuff. That's Jason as a child. That was his cameo in that movie. <laughs> I even placed his own kid in there and, and and was in fact the yuppie larva as Ray put it. So super, super cool. Going back to Ghostbusters Afterlife though, this is totally a love letter to the franchise. Um, well, and, and you touched on a number of things and I, and I will reiterate them on my side where the soundtrack itself, you could tell that they took um, painstaking efforts to rekindle and 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 provide as an homage to the original Ghostbusters soundtrack, all of the synthesizer sounds, that sort of thing. And, and that's not to be underestimated because especially with a film like Ghostbusters, when I was hearing the soundtrack for Afterlife, I was instantly transported back to the, the mid eighties when I was watching the, the original Ghostbusters movie. There's just, there's something that's timeless about that particular sound art that they made. And so I'm very, very thankful for that. Another thing like, like you said as well, the sound effects also are brimming with nostalgia. You hear the, the proton pack get turned on and, and the particle thrower also gets set up to go. And it's, it's just, it's amazing how, these sounds are so embedded in me and I know they're embedded in you too, Steve. And really, I mean, I, I think I speak for all of Ghostbusters fans when I say this, it's amazing how you hear just one of those sounds and you get chills, you get goosebumps of excitement and anticipation. It brings you right back to being like a 10 year old again when you, when you, when you hear that stuff. And I think it was a, it was a, it was a tall order in terms of how they bring forth the story with the characters, because this is not unfortunately a film that focuses on Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, um, uh, Harold Ramis and who am I? Um, help me out, Steve. I keep, I keep wanting to say Winston. It's um, <laughs> Winston Zedmore. Winston Zedmore. Yeah, exactly. Ernie Hudson. <laughs> It's so hard to, it's like their names are so synonymous with those characters. It's like, I could literally go back and forth, like, you know, Egon Spangler, Bill Murray, uh, Ray Stance and uh, Ernie Hudson, whatever. But um, anyway, we didn't get a film that focused on, on those folks, unfortunately. And I know that that was what everybody wanted. And, I, and we've seen this for years, like through the decades where they've made certain types of cameos. I remember one time Bill Murray came on to MTV cause they had, I think it was the MTV movie awards and he won, like he was the recipient uh, for some sort of award for zombie land, which he was in. But when he came up on the stage he was dressed as a Ghostbuster. He had donned his Ghostbuster oh. attire with the proton pack and everything, and it blew everybody in the audience away. Everybody was, like, super pumped. Everybody was, like, rising to their feet. They had a standing ovation. And before he could even give his acceptance speech, he's standing there in front of the mic, um, along with Sarah Silverman and um, someone else uh, behind her. He couldn't start talking because the whole audience was still giving a standing ovation and chanting. I think it was either Ghostbusters or it was Bill. I think, I think it was Bill. They were like, Bill, 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 Bill. And, um, 
you know, that took place, I want to say back in like 2011 ish, somewhere around there. And I'll never forget that because in the audience, it wasn't like a bunch of people who were our age, who were alive when the original Ghostbusters movie came out. You had, yes, you had sprinklings of folks who were, who were more in our age bracket, but you had a ton of millennials that were in the audience that have seen the movie and love it. And, and I think the point of what I'm trying to make is that Ghostbusters as a whole is a multi-generational thing. It's something that like, once you watch it, you just love it. And a large part of that has to do with um, the banter going back and forth. And so for the cast for Ghostbusters Afterlife, what is interesting is that they decided to go with the granddaughter of Egon Spangler, who's Phoebe played by McKenna Grace, did a fantastic job in this role. You have um, podcast, which we were commenting when we were reviewing Ghostbusters Afterlife. If you want to check it out, you can go um, see it on YouTube or, or listen to it on our, our audio podcast options. And he was played by Logan Kim, another like, instantly lovable kid, lovable personality. He, uh, he imbued a lot of what makes a Ghostbuster a Ghostbuster in the first place. The one main challenge that these kids had was the fact that they weren't really scientists, you know, so it was very much a, a passing of the baton where like Egon Spangler was able to like lead his granddaughter, for instance, um, and show her like the different tools of the trade, so to speak. And we did get a chance to see the OG Ghostbusters make a cameo, which was, I mean, it was insane to see them on screen like that again. And really, I think that Jason did such a wonderful job of portraying Harold Ramis in his Egon Spangler character. Honestly, I, I don't see how they could have done a better job. I think that, that was uh, really, really awesome. So we'll have to see. I mean, they definitely left the door open for sequels. I'm with you. Like, I don't care how old Bill Murray or Dan Aykroyd or Ernie Hudson gets. I think that that they could be 90 years old and still be Ghostbusters. The main thing that, that folks, I think some folks can't quite place their finger on is the fact that these gentlemen when they're on screen, they act as almost like a jazz ensemble, right? Like, like each one will, will like take turns playing a riff on their own particular instrument and the other ones back that person up. And that's exactly like probably like the best way that I could explain the banter, the quality of the chemistry and banter that you see when they're on screen, whether it's Ghostbusters one or two. And to a certain extent, this one, this one was, was more sentimental, but it is interesting to look at like that is the secret ingredient for Ghostbusters and it is exclusive to those actors that it's been refined, especially between Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd because they've done multiple films together. They were on Saturday Night Live together. They're comedians, right? It's all about that um, back and forth, backing each other up. You know, someone sets up something, someone runs up and slam dunks it verbally or whatever, you know, and that that is the, the, the crux of Ghostbusters it is... It's, it's that whole, like, scare you and make you laugh. That's what, it, that's what it's all about. So that is uh, definitely also my number three pick movie for 2021. Steve, what is your number two pick for 2021? Number two, Russ, is going to be Spider-Man. No Spider way Spider-Man does whatever a spider can. <laughs> um, so... I mean, I think anybody who's reviewing this movie online um, is going to have it in their top picks for 2021. Um, similar to Ghostbusters, there's just so much to love about it. Um, 
I mean, seeing all three Spider-Man zzzzz on screen, seeing Doc Ock come back on screen, um, having all like the the this, the same kind of Peter Parker, P- Peter Parker personality, uh, <laughs> and different like you know. And different, just fractions uh, of change, you know, and and these different actors, what they what they can bring to the table, um, was actually just was fan freaking tastic. Um, I wasn't really a, I wasn't totally on board with uh, the story. I mean, I, I still was trying to wrap my head around like the the whole thing of Peter saying, "Make everybody forget about me." No, don't do that. And then, yes, make everybody forget about me. I. I but it made for a movie that I was extremely thankful for. And, uh, I mean, seeing Benedict Cumberbatch, you know, come back on screen, of course, is, uh, Dr. Strange was, was always wonderful. And, um, it's got me looking forward to his movie coming out, but, yeah. um, I never thought I would, I would get misty eyed at a Spider-Man flick. And I did. And a lot of that had to go actually towards Andrew Garfield, really. Um, I have yet to watch his Spider-Man movie. I still need to watch that. And ma- matter of fact, but I looked for it though. I looked for it on Prime and it's been free this entire time and I haven't watched it. And now that I want to watch it, it's like, oh yeah, give us 24 bucks to rent it. I'm like, come on. Yeah. Forget that. So we'll see what happens. I'll watch it at some point. But um, anyway, uh, watched it in the theater Thank God I did. I, I, that is not a movie you want to watch at home. I'm, I'm glad I was there to see it. And, um, the crowd was amazing. A part of it was actually part of the, of the experience too. Everybody hooping and hollering and clapping and, and, um, man, what a, what a freaking movie. Um, I just love seeing everyone on screen. Even, even the villains. I thought for the most part, they did a fantastic job giving everybody ample screen time. I thought, how are they going to do this? And they did it. Uh, and I, I don't know. I, I just think they had a lot to work with. It was almost like an impossible thing to, to, to do and to pull off. And they did it and they did it well. And um, my goodness, I mean, if Marvel can keep on pushing films like that, um, they'll, they'll keep the fan base together. That is yeah. dang sure. So anyway, that's my number four. Your number four or number two? I'm sorry. That's right. We went in reverse. (laughs) That's my number two. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) Well, number two. Very nice, Steve. Very nice. Number two. My number two. So this, okay. We're getting up to the, the final two and this has become very, very difficult for me to be able to make these selections. So number two for me, number two film of 2021 is the Suicide Squad. Oh! <laughs> so what is insane about this particular film is that it is based off a pre-existing franchise that, let's be real, the first film was awful. Aside from Margot Robbie, who is always like fantastic as Harley Quinn, she's the she's the quintessential Quinzel, if you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> she, you know, she was the shining light of what was otherwise just a terrible movie. And what was insane was James Gunn 
was able to t- do a complete 180 with his vision of the Suicide Squad and turned it into one of my absolute favorite movies of the year. And honestly, it's probably one of my favorite comic book movies, period. I think it's on the short list in terms of like, you know, if I, if I had a list of top 10 comic book movies, maybe it might even break the top five. I'd have to sit down and like do kind of a, a listing of that. But that tells you just how much quality this film is, how much it contains. Um, the the premise itself, I really appreciated the unpredictability of it, how James Gunn was just unabashedly offing characters, like some of some of which are, are big names uh, within the first five minutes of the film, and then you see other things happening later on. And so it had a kind of a grindhouse flavor, which he's known for. He's known for having misfit type of characters. You know, you throw in a bunch of gore and some humor and stuff, and it, it just, it all works. It's, it's, it's so funny how it is difficult for Hollywood to pull off. There are not very many directors who are capable of having it be on an epic scale like this. But I found myself just absolutely loving it. It really taught me, well, it, it actually, to be fair, the Zack Snyder Cut of Justice League introduced this concept to me more vividly. And then James Gunn coming in and basically doing something very similar with the Suicide Squad franchise. It reinforced the idea that you can have such stark visions of like how you think a particular story should be told. And when it comes to film, what a difference it makes when you have a different director come forward, take a look at the subject matter. I mean, honestly, I think Warner Brothers was probably more loosey-goosey with James Gunn just because of his pedigree with Marvel, with his, his Guardians of the Galaxy films. But also, too, I think because the original Suicide Squad film just didn't do very well. And it makes me wonder if perhaps Warner Brothers was a little more strict on the previous director for Suicide Squad. And then when James Gunn came in, they allowed him to be able to do more of his thing. Having said that, though, that is not at all the lion's share reason of why this film is a a success. The reason why this film is a success is because of James Gunn. So my hat goes off to, to him in terms of that. The boss you know, boss fight, so to speak, the main villain Starro was like the most ridiculous, like again, and we talk about this in our review. I can't talk. We talked about this in our review. In fact, all these films that we are bringing up, we have talked about in previous episodes of Joygasm. If you're interested in hearing more detail and you are just us gushing and geeking out about them. However, this film had so many opportunities to fail and it didn't it succeeded tremendously and it almost was my number one pick for 2021. There is a whole lot to love in this film. I've watched it several times, especially now that it's available on HBO max. It is super. I mean, like you just, you, it's a thrill ride. You have a great time. Like you, you end the movie smiling and I just, man, I'm so excited to see Guardians of the Galaxy 3 now that James Gunn is working on that. And my hope is, is maybe he'll bounce back and maybe he'll ping pong over to the Suicide Squad again and make yet another film with these characters and bring in some other characters as well. But my goodness, terrific film. Steve, I'm going to kick it back over to you. What is your number one favorite movie of 2021? 
Russ, it is going to be a quiet place too. Oh wow! My favorite. Um, didn't expect this one would even make the list when I knew it was coming out, and uh, it was just one night. My wife and I were looking to see what we wanted to watch, and it just. It was there. It was available to stream uh, at the same time it was released in the theater, and we thought that's what we're watching tonight. And you know, I I did like the first uh, film of this. I didn't I didn't like it that much. I but I, I I had fun with it, and so we watched this one. And this is one of those strange occurrences where when they when they make a movie, the second one has to like to up the ante. It has to be just as good, if not better. And that's very difficult with with sequels. Sure. And this one did everything the first one did. And then a lot more. I mean, they had, I don't know if they had a bigger budget. I don't know what the budget was, but the way they filmed it was fantastic. It was beautiful. I, if you haven't seen it, have you seen it yet? I have not seen it yet, Steve. I remember when we talked about it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all I like to watch list. how, Oh, yeah, so sometime in the next five years. Great, that sounds great. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's um, pretty much what it is. <laughs> so uh, the way it's filmed, like the cinematography is, like you you, you are going to, as soon as you watch it, you're going to talk to me about it because sure. the way it's filmed is wonderful. Everything is framed, like it's centered and it's um, like if it needs to pan, it pans in a way that, that makes it like you are, you are part of the movie and you are like in the backseat or you're hiking with them or you're part of this journey. And, um, you know, they didn't have to go over the top with the gore. Um, they didn't, they didn't go over the top with like the terror. They just made it exciting enough to get your heartbeat going and wonder what's going to happen next. Um, without, without putting you over the edge. Um, I thought that, you know, that the kids did a wonderful job uh, acting. Um, I thought it continued in the only way that the story could continue uh, with them finding refuge. Um, I'm trying to remember the actor's name. Um, he was Scarecrow in, um, in, in Batman and Batman Begins. Um, I, I can see his face. I just can't think of his name. I'm, I have to look. I, have to I know who you're talking here. about. But yeah, he is, you, you, once you see his face, you'll never be able to, 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 to forget it. But he played phenomenally. Like he, he played even better in this one than he did in Batman. And by the time the movie was over, my wife and I both had a wonderful time with this movie. And we were like, make A Quiet Place 3. Make it now. Oh, <laughs> I mean, you know they will. A, Golly, it was just an epic joyride, and it. I'm, I was trying to find stuff that I was going to be critical with it, and um, and it's difficult. It's really difficult to to find fault with the movie. I mean, there everything about it. I mean, the soundtrack maybe wasn't that great. I mean, I can I can't remember anything about the soundtrack. There you go. There's my sure. fault with it. It's not perfect. Sure. Uh, <laughs> but I would definitely recommend it, and um, even for folks who are like maybe a little bit squeamish you're still going to have a thrill ride with the movie. It's not gross. It's not gory, um, but it is a thrill ride and it's a thrill ride that'll give you a smile and you'll be thinking about that smile for weeks to come. And um, I would say that 
even though I enjoyed all the movies on my list and there's lots to love about every single movie, this one gave me like the lasting emotion of, um, of just fun, fun, enjoyment, excitement. And I, I never thought I would, I would feel that way about a movie, especially a movie like this one. So that's why it made my number one. Very nice, Steve. Very nice. So for my number one favorite pick, uh, this is the first time I've had to do this. It's a tie for me. Oh, come on. I know. I know. I have tried every which way. And honestly, you know, the, the vowel thing kind of messed up my, 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 my order of operations, (laughs) my list. Uh, but at the same time though, it was necessary to be able to make sure that Val got in there because again, that is such a unique film. So as far as my favorite number one pick of 2021, it's actually two different films and I will give both their due time in the spotlight. And that is Dune and Spider-Man No Way Home. I shall begin with Wow. Yes. Dune is um, a novel that is widely celebrated among sci-fi fans, um, such as myself. I'm a huge sci-fi guy. And the the original (laughs) approach to the subject matter back in the 80s was difficult. You know, the film itself, while interesting and cool, was rather obtuse, especially for a kid like myself back in the day. I had a hard time digesting just kind of what was happening, what was going on, that sort of thing. And it's, and I'm not, I'm not alone. There are many people out there who, even when you read the novels, um, there is so much, it's a very rich world. There's a very rich universe that has been created. And to see this new rendition of Dune come out in a way that was so easy to follow and understand and was so epic in scale and as to like how this, this, like I said, this entire universe exists without even having to painstakingly show every corner of said universe. It it was what was implied that I thought was so successful in this movie. The cinema photography was some of the best I've ever seen really like it, it, you know, initially it brought back memories of uh, Blade Runner 2049 because their cinematography was also gorgeous. And in this film, I mean, they, they look like paintings. You, you could pause the movie at any point and it looked absolutely phenomenal. In fact, I even paused. I did in fact, pause the film, took screen grabs and created like just little color palettes learning about like what kind of grading they used on the film. It, it was that impressive to me. The storyline itself is a bit of a slow burn, but it's not so slow that I found myself being disengaged from the story at all. I think that the the casting that they did was perfect. Everybody fit their roles really, really well. Um, I My hope is, is that they're able to continue creating sequels based off these novels. I think that the, the director is in fact a hardcore fan of this story. And you can tell he really wants to be able to translate it successfully to the silver screen. Honestly, so far, I think he's doing exactly that. What's really worth noting too, is that this movie is three hours long 
and it felt short to me. Like I, it felt like an hour and a half when I was watching it, which is saying something because again, there's hardly any action in the movie. A lot of it is just exposition. It's, it's that slow burn of examining and, and explaining what everything is. And on that note as well, another strength of the film was how, despite it being a predominantly sci-fi film, there was a lot of thoughtfulness and care to the logistics. You know, they, they showed you how these, these different mechanisms or vehicles worked. They, they were able to really succinctly explain why this spice world exists and why you have these different types of um, entities that have a vested interest and greed towards wanting to be able to, to control the, the world that has the spice, right? You have a lot of the kind of Game of Thrones-ish relationships between these various houses. And despite the fact that like we've only seen one film, there was so much of that, of that rich content that we were able to process in an orderly fashion because this film could have very easily been obtuse. It could have very easily caused people to scratch their heads and wonder, now wait, who's that and why are they here and what's going on? You know, and, and for me, there was just none of that. So definitely one of the most arresting films of 2021 bouncing from that to my other pick that is tied with Dune is Spider-Man No Way Home. The, one of the big reasons for this is the successful implementation of the multiverse. They have been pumping up the multiverse now for about, I would say, a year or so within the MCU. And we are now starting to, to, to witness the benefits of that in a successful execution. This, again, could have been a colossal failure in terms of how they decided to approach the multiverse itself. And it is a triumph to be able to see how these two studios, you had Sony studios and you had, honestly it was Disney, but you know, within that it's, it's Marvel studios be able to continue to work together with the Spider-Man franchise, because as we all know, Spider-Man is one of the most popular comic book characters. It certainly is within the Marvel cinematic universe, but just overall, it, it, he's a hugely popular character. And so, it, you know, the, the creative challenges involved and also kind of like the, the relationship between these two studios, we were talking early on about how it was kind of on again, off again. They weren't sure if, if Sony was going to come back to the table with Marvel and do another Tom Holland, Spider-Man film, because all of the Tom Holland, Spider-Man films is essentially Sony putting, the, the license on loan to Marvel to make the movies and then they split the profits. So to me, as far as I'm concerned, it is a tremendous success story and, and honestly a roadmap, a blueprint for other studios who own various IPs and perhaps need to partner up to follow because at the end of the day, the fans are the ones that win. And that is such a rarity um, just throughout life in general. The story, like you said, Steve, has a surprising amount of emotional weight and legitimacy to it. I was not expecting that in this film. I was kind of expecting like, oh, he's a web slinger. It's an action adventure movie, whatever, you know, and, and you, you we have, I mean, arguably so. We've seen a number of Spider-Man films that have, have come and gone since the early 2000s. So there is a bit of a formula to it. But that wasn't necessarily the case with this film. And... 
to see them actually bring in all these villains who we have enjoyed from the Tobey Maguire Spider-Mans, the Andrew Garfield Spider-Mans, you know, bring those, those into the fold. And not only that, but also even have all three of, of the Spider-Mans come together on screen. It, I mean, really, it, it's, a, it's a, a dream come true. And I know that we've we've talked about this from time to time on the program about how when we're younger or even present day, we have fun conversations that revolve around what if. What if they were able to do this? What if they could, you know, remove all the red tape and and be able to have this come up on on screen for us to enjoy? And I feel like this is one of those instances where I never thought that I would ever get to see Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield and Tom Holland all on screen together. And not only that, it wasn't even like fan service in terms of like, Oh, here they are, you know, get your camera ready. They're going to come out, take a picture. They actually had so much substance to the characters. And even within the script and the dialogue itself, they brought up certain things that were in fact, um, significant to those particular versions of Spider-Man and they, they just kind of united them all together. I know that we've talked about this already in the past about how, you know, a particular example is Tobey Maguire <clears throat> talking to Andrew Garfield, you know, those, those Peter Parker's t- talking together and how Toby's Peter Parker was basically giving props to and complimenting um, Andrew's Peter Parker in terms of like, you know, the the work that he's done and everything else and how he's, he said it was amazing. He did an amazing job and that sort of thing. And that was a, a direct correlation to how there was a tremendous pressure on the actor of Andrew to be able to, you know, live up to the expectations that Tobey Maguire's Peter Parker had set. But it was done so in a way that like, you know, fans would, would recognize, but also it was weaved into the story they were telling at that point in time. So there, there was a, an absolute tremendous amount of stuff in there that made me giddy in my, my theater seat. And it makes me look forward to what else do they have in store in terms of the multiverse. They have definitely set the tone successfully. My hope is, is that they will responsibly move forward and continue to just amaze and wow us in the way that, that they, they've done so with this particular film. It also makes me look forward to even on the DC side of things. You know, we know that the Flash movie's coming out. There is some sort of multiverse thing that they will be doing too with Michael Keaton returning as Batman. I cannot wait for that. So it will be very fun and interesting to see what happens over the next several years as they move forward to it. But that's that in a nutshell, that's why both of these films are tied for me as my favorite film of 2021, because each one has such man, just masterful execution of their, their particular strengths that, uh, I just, I could not pick one over the other. So I hope you can forgive me, Steve. Well, what else can I do, Russ? (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate that. Thank you. Mm. Mm. Well, did you have any final thoughts or words to say as I was running my mouth just now, Steve? Um, no, Russ. I I agree with. I, I'll pause there for a second. I I agree with what you say. I, I I'm picking up what you're throwing down as far as your rearranging of almost every movie that I've said. Almost. <laughs> um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You uh, smell what but, I'm stepping uh, in there, Steve? 
I, I do, Russ. Um, mm-hmm. We'll see mm-hmm. how 2022 works out with the movies they're going to release because uh, everyone's going back to the theaters. I think a lot of these studios are going to be I, I may be feeling safer to, to sure. release more stuff. Um, I mean, we got, we have like top gun. We're waiting on um, a lot. Of, so the future is optimistic, I would say, but um, looking back, we did have a good time in 2021. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm glad we saw what we saw. I, I agree with your list. I agree with my list. <laughs> Yeah, it it is true that 2021 was not chock full of as many films as I would personally like to see. But having said that, the ones that did make it out, and especially the ones that are uh, on both of our lists, certainly are top tier quality. You will not be disappointed as far as we are concerned. That wraps up this episode of Joyagasm. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. If you enjoyed this episode, we invite you to check out patreon.com slash joygasm where you can enjoy exclusive perks and early access to the show. Not to mention it helps us financially doing this show. Mm. Also, make sure you smash that subscribe button and tickle that notification bell. That way you will not (laughs) miss a single episode of Joygasm. And... Also, while you're at it, do a search for at Joygasm TV on your favorite social media platform of choice. We're on all the major ones, just about. <laughs> and last but not least, do a search for Joygasm TV on Twitch to see us stream our gaming adventures live every Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Central Time. One final note about that. We have been experiencing some technical difficulties whenever we are streaming an Xbox title. So some of those those issues have to do with uh, not being able to hear Steve, for instance, on the headset. There's also been some other issues as well. So we're trying to work our way through that. And hopefully uh, it will be a non-issue in the near future. We will look forward to seeing you all once again next week.